Okay, I bet I know what you're thinking. What? Another podcast? Yes, another podcast. But this one, of course, is different. Here's why. It's regular people having conversations about often inflammatory and divisive issues faced by our society today with the goal of the conversation being to make the world a better place. Hi, my name is Steve Allred. Do Justice is a podcast that gets its name from the biblical passage that says, Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. This is a continuing conversation created for people interested in making our world a better and more just place. In this first conversation, I talk with a good friend, Pastor Trevor Barnes. Trevor is the pastor of the Appian Way Seventh-day Adventist Church in El Sobrante, California. My friendship with Trevor goes back over a decade to when we attended seminary together at Andrews University. Earlier, I spoke with Trevor on the issue of racial justice. What's it like to be black in America in 2019? Well, um, what's it like to be black um, in America in 2019? Um, I think that, um, you know, we still uh, experience um, racism today in many different ways. Um, You know, the first thing that uh, comes to my mind is, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, people like uh, Barbecue Betty, where in Oakland, uh, California, you had some people, black people, who, you know, went to uh, just barbecue right in the park. And uh, they were uh, barbecuing while black. And mm. because of that, uh, the um, lady called the police on them uh, to get them out of the area because she felt that they didn't belong in their own neighborhood. Mm. Um, I, I think of... Um, uh, young lady, I think it was at uh, Harvard, who was just uh, taking a nap in uh, the lobby of her dorm, and she was thought not to be there, uh, not to belong there, mm-hmm. and so she was. Uh, she was. Uh, uh, the police were called on uh, her to to remove her because they felt that she couldn't be a student in that uh, institution. Um, I think of uh, Henry Louis Gates. Uh, uh, you know, on, on television, on PBS, he has a TV show mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, dealing with uh, uh, people's background and uh, ancestry. And, uh, you know, he was trying to get in, uh, w- w- trying to get into his house and uh, people felt that he didn't belong in that neighborhood uh, in Boston. And, uh, you know, he had the police called on him. So, you know, just a, just a number of uh, stories like that, you know, just uh, make me uh, think of how it is to still be black uh, in uh, 2019. Um, you know, um, I, I kind of think that um, uh, some people feel that, um, you know, racism is such a thing of the past, uh, yet it's not. Uh, it's something that is uh, still here uh, with us today. Um, and, uh, you know, as I, as I say that, you know, the other image that comes into my mind is um, uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, you mm-hmm. know, uh, yeah. where uh, just, what, two years ago, um, they had uh, a number, I mean, hundreds of uh, white nationalists who were marching, uh, you know, shouting, Jews will not replace us, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, very racist uh, commentary that was uh, going on there. It 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 uh it, it shows that there's still hatred 
that there is still bigotry uh, towards people who are different and that, um, you know, um, what I, I see with that particular situation is that um, people who are different are blamed for um, some of the um, difficulties that the majority is facing right now in our country, which is completely um, unfair and unfounded. Um, and so I, I, I see uh, that, um, that happening. And, and the thing that is scary to me as a, as a young uh, African-American male uh, in this country is to see the age of those people. Mm, yes, uh, because right. the, 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 the progressive narrative is that, you know, that's just the idea of the past. You know, that's uh, those are those are, you know, uh, ideas of people in the South or, you know, a previous generation. But it's clear from the age of those people who are protesting, these are not old people. Mm-hmm. You know, these are people in their 20s, 30s, maybe 40s. But these are young people who are out there and have um, all that hatred towards black people. And that hatred led to them killing a counter protester. Right. You know, they killed somebody, you know, and, and, and that is the type of, uh, of racism and violence uh, that is still out there. It has been a part of American history mm-hmm. for all of American history. Uh, we, we talk about blacks, but, uh, you know, it was there towards, uh, you know, ra- uh, racism towards the Irish, uh, towards Catholics, mm-hmm. Chinese. Uh, towards Chinese, Japanese, um, Japanese. And let's never forget the indigenous oh, population, yeah. the nature of uh, this country, the unfortunate uh, nature as, as amazing as this country is, as much as I love this country mm-hmm. um, and I call it my home. Um, you know, the, the unfortunate part of America is that it is filled with a history uh, of, of, of racism. So let's get back to that in a minute. But I want to just ask you this. So you and I are both Christians. We, we uh-huh. want to follow Jesus. And, yeah. um, and just for those who might be listening, you know, so our perspective uh, to a great extent, is going to be filtered through our understanding of, of Jesus, the gospel, and, uh-huh. and the Bible. So uh-huh. I hear Christians sometimes saying this. They say, hey, listen, you know, focus on the gospel. Don't get involved in social issues. Uh-huh. And, um, and in a way, I think that, that they're correct, because the gospel is the ultimate solution to everything bad in our world, including racism. And yet, even in the early church, as you look back in the New Testament, Acts chapter 6, I was just listening to this yesterday, um, even with the gospel coming and breaking down the walls between the Jews and the Greeks, mm-hmm. there were still racial uh, issues that had to be dealt with and talked about in Acts chapter mm-hmm. 6 between the, the Greeks mm-hmm. and, and the Jews. Yeah. So the question for you is this, why should a Christian care about racism? Does, does the gospel have anything to do with racial issues. It's not just, I think we've limited the gospel to saying, I believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then that's it. You know, pretty much at that point, we can live however we want to live. We could do whatever we want to do. But if God is Lord of our lives, it should transform the way that we live, the way that we look at things, the way that we treat people. Um, you know, uh, you know, look at look at how I say look at how Jesus, um, you know, talked and the stories that he gave. I think that Jesus 
in his own way, was trying to teach us by what he said and what he did that um, they that we should advocate for uh, true parity and integration and oneness. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, you know, he and John, I think it's chapter three, he goes to the village of the Samaritans. Um, and he does that intentionally because he's trying to break down the walls um, of the cultural biases that his disciples have because they, Jews, in that story, it actually says Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. You know, that's how bad the racism was in, in those days. And Jesus intentionally goes through, the, the actual scripture says he must needs to go through Samaria. And so he did that intentionally to try to help his disciples see that God um, wanted to bless all people, that he had children from all nations um, and trying to break through the walls of the disciples. He told the story of the good Samaritan, you know, because in, in the disciples' mind and in the, the minds of those who he told the story to, they could not even imagine someone was uh, a, a good Samaritan because Jews hated Samaritans. And, 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 and in that story, the, the hero of the story is the one who everyone would hate, who all the Jews would hate. He's doing that because he's flipping the cultural norms on his head to say, this is how my kingdom works. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and Samaritans, the outcasts, the sinners, the publicans, the prostitutes, the, the, those who are outcasts are part of it. And I, I just think also that, um, you know, what we do today is that, you know, again, we, we say, okay, you know, I believe Jesus. And then that, then my religion stops at that point. And, you know, I just go to church once a week and, and God really doesn't have, he's not really Lord of my life. And I, I look at scriptures, particularly in the book of Isaiah that jump out to me when it comes to this issue where God's like, literally like, don't even pray to me anymore. He's, he's living in Isaiah one. He says, don't even pray. Mm-hmm. He says, I'm tired of your, uh, your, your Sabbath keeping. I'm tired of your new moons. I'm tired of your festivals. He says, I'm covering my ears. I'm not listening to you. What you need to do is you need to do justice. You know, stop the oppression. You know, look after the widow. Isaiah 58, it talks about how, you know, the people would go around in mourning. And, and you know, we, we would, if we were talking about what to do, we would say, have a worship service. Well, God says, no, don't even have a worship service. <laughs> what you need to do mm. is you need to go out there and clothe the widow, take care of the naked, take care of the least of these. And I think by extension, because the least of these are the, the impoverished in society, which happens in our culture to be people of color, mm. um, primarily. Um, and so, you know, uh, the way that I would apply that today is to say, take, you know, uh, um, transform the ghetto, you know, uh, help people who are systematically and economically depraved and oppressed the least uh, to have a better life. You know, stop having these church, these meaningless church services, stop having all these, you know, meaningless sermons and go out and do justice. Mm-hmm. You know, I think mm-hmm. that is what uh, the message of, uh, of, of scripture uh, says, says to us. And in, in echoing that, the New Testament says it, you know, like in the book of James, he says, you know, th- if you see somebody coming to church and that person, you know, doesn't have, uh, is a need and they need a coat or something, you just pray for them and says, you know, God be with you. 
you know, James says, you know, what good is your religion? He says, faith without works is dead. You know, that is what's needed in, in this generation. I think it's the same because the human condition is always the same. And in, uh, in our day, we need to listen to what James, Isaiah, Micah, and Amos, and, and all of those people are saying, that we need to do something. The church needs to be active in doing something to better the lives of people rather than just, you know, doing church, you know, having concerts for our own sake or having, mm -hmm. you know, programs that we only like, that only benefit us. What are we doing for the community? So, Okay. I'm going to take a, another perspective here, and that is, you know, I have friends or people I know, perhaps people I've heard out there who would say, hey, but is it really true that, that black people have it uh, so rough in America? African-Americans, are, are they really, you know, um, the majority of them in, in poverty, et cetera, et cetera, like you just mentioned? Um, and what is, you know, you mentioned earlier the whole issue of how our, our country here, you know, we love this country. Yes, but we have had a history, and it's it's very um, easy to to prove this, to research this, to find out the history on this. If we if we want to look there, uh, we've had a history of um, of racism, of white supremacy. Um, let's talk about what racism is for a minute. I want to kind of get to the issue of structural racism, which is kind of where I think you know you were touching on a little bit earlier. Um, with just how we as a country have kind of been set up this way for, for so long. So what is racism? What does it look like today? Because, um, you know, someone might say, well, hey, I'm not racist. I don't, you know, hate somebody that's of a different skin color. Um, I don't even really dislike them. But what are we talking about when we talk about racism, um, Trevor? And what, what is structural racism? Can you, can you kind of break that down for us? If the question is, you know, um, you know, that, uh, you know, black people have it good um, in this uh, country today. You know, stop, stop being a, uh, a victim. Mm -hmm. if, if that if that's the question, then, you know, or, or the statement that somebody somebody makes. Um, well, then I would invite that person or whoever says that to move on to San Leandro Boulevard. In Oakland, California, in the area between San Leandro and Oakland, California. One of the worst neighborhoods that I've ever been in my life where I, I've, I've been, <laughs> I've been scared, <laughs> mm -hmm. for, you know, if it's that good, you know, if it's that great, go there, you know, mm. um, you know, uh, and, and I guess the question would be, you know, if you're saying it's great, great for who, you know, and I'm not, and, and that's not to say that, um, you know, there hasn't been progress and that, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. it, uh, you know, that things aren't better, uh, than it has been in the past. I'm, I'm not saying that. Um, but, you know, uh, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. once said that, you know, oppression anywhere is oppression everywhere. And so if there's a brother or a sister who is, you know, uh, in a systemic, uh, you know, situation of poverty and does not feel like they have a way out, you know, that should affect us. You know, that, that, that should cause us to uh, take a pause and to say, you know, what can we do in the wealthiest nation in the world? What can we possibly do about that to make this uh, world uh, a, a better uh, place for them? You know, uh, there shouldn't be uh, such a vast economic disparity 
um, in our in our country. You know, I, I just don't think uh, it, it, it should be that way. And so, you know, um, yes, there has been um, uh, progress, uh, but, um, you know, that's that's still not to say that everyone ha- feels like they have opportunity when you have, for example, and um, this this goes to, um, you know, kind of touches on your, your, your second question is, um, you know, when you have um, people, you're basically able to tell the trajectory that their life will take based upon the zip code that they grow up in because certain zip codes have better teachers, certain uh, zip codes have better schools, certain zip codes have better resources, then, you know, that's not fair to every child. That's mm-hmm. the, you know, that, 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 that means that certain people are um, in, inherently have a disadvantage baked into the system. So, so I'm going to interrupt you. Let me interrupt you real quick. I'm just going to play the devil's advocate. So someone might say, well, hey, but hey, you live in the land of opportunity. You live in America. Move out of that zip code. Go um, go find another place to live and, and get your kids into a better school. Um, go get a job that you know is going to pay you better. What, what would be your answer to that? Just say, hey, you know, like basically, uh, you know, get yourself out of that environment and 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 you know, you can do this. This is a land of opportunity. Well, uh, th- that, that's where, you know, I think people need to understand that it's not that easy. I mean, that sounds good, mm-hmm. but there are certain things that get in the way of that happening. Like what? You know, just for, for, for just a very simple example is you can't afford to live in a different neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You, you just can't. You know, based upon the way that, um, you know, uh, uh, rent works, particularly out here in California, you know, both of us are in California. And, um, you know, just the way that the uh, economic system is set up, you know, uh, I'll give I'll give Oakland as an example. So there's no way you can move into the great neighborhoods around the lake and now the areas of Oakland, which are being gentrified. Um, North Oakland and, and 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 West Oakland, but you go to East Oakland, yeah, you can afford it. But the reason you can't afford it is because it's a it's a it's a terrible neighborhood. You're you're you are priced out, and I don't think people understand that. And this goes to what is called structural racism, mm-hmm. that that's baked into the system. Like um, there 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 was something called redlining. Um, yes. So uh, what what redlining is was. Um, literally pricing, you know, certain people out. So you, 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 you either raise the, um, there are several ways that was done. Uh, one of them is just simply sheer. You just can't afford it because it's, it, it's priced higher than what you can afford. Uh, number two, banks would not lend to people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and there's a great, great article um, that I would recommend to your listeners it's by a gentleman by the name of Tanahasi Coates, and he writes this article called "The Case for Reparations." Uh, the Case for Reparations, great article, mm-hmm. and in it he talks about Chicago and um, how um, you know uh, black wealth was plundered uh, from uh, black people in Chicago, and he's just using Chicago as as one example of what was happening nationwide um, because. Um, black people were not allowed to have a regular mortgage mm. like um, like their white counterparts. 
Um, and so what they were given were these uh, restrictive covenants. Mm -hmm. And the restrictions were some of them, they were structured like this, where you, if you were late on one payment, even if you've been faithfully paying your mortgage for 20 years, mm -hmm. you would lose your home. Mm. You know, you just go through one month, you get, you know, you get sick, something happens, you know, it's 20 years, whatever. People would lose their home. And what that what those restrictive covenants did was it it it, it stripped, um, you know, years of wealth from the black community, because we know that the middle class of America has been propped up by the housing system. You know, that is what creates, uh, you know, wealth for the middle class uh, and makes America pretty much different than um than any other country mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. because most country is poor or rich that's it yeah uh, but america has this large um middle class and that comes through uh, primarily through housing and so when you now take out um you know the ability for people to have equity mm -hmm. by literally stripping them of all of the money that they put in the house uh, over the years, and when people go through difficult times, you 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 take uh, those funds and then turn it around mm -hmm. and sell it again to another black family and do that again to them and again to another family. Systematically, um, you know, you are you are um, plundering uh, wealth is is what he was saying. And, and so they, and they can't pass that on to their kids like exactly, the majority of exactly. of white Americans can do because that's exactly. exactly right. That's how the middle class, uh, you know. It gains What's wealth great? is through yeah. through home equity, yeah. Exactly, and 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 so you know when you have systems, and I, and I think it's important for people to understand. Your listeners need to understand that this is not this is a a, a systematic racism. Right. So racism is not just you know person to person or individual to individual. Mm -hmm. It's not enough to say you know I don't have malice towards a person. Well, then you know we have to also consider that you know. Uh, blacks who came from serving in World War II were not able to get part of the GI Bill, mm -hmm. and that meant that they weren't able to get education, which meant that they weren't able to get the best jobs, which meant that they weren't able to earn enough income to move into better neighborhoods. That system creates poverty over generations, mm. which is very hard yes. to pull yourself up from, which incidentally, since we are Christians— and we talk about, uh, and, and we, uh, uh, um, you know, are coming from, you know, uh, I'm coming from that perspective. Mm -hmm. Incidentally, that's why I believe God in his wisdom in the system that he set up in the Jewish nation would literally absolve debts mm. after 50 years. Because God knows mm -hmm. that it's, it's, it's near impossible. It's actually every seven years. To get, every seven years, my yeah. bad. And then property is restored. Right, every 50. Um, every 50 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that, that's right. So 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 that is why, you know, and, and, and that's that's interesting to, to think too, because if it's every seven years, God is, it's like God saying that, that, that he had a time frame, a cap on the, the suffering that he want, that he even would allow people um, um, to go through and for people to be exploited. In other words, it must come to an end. You know? So you've, you've brought out some interesting points here. By the way, two mm -hmm. books that I recommend, um, you are, recommend an article there by um, Ta-Nehisi uh, Coates. Ta um, another really good book, I'm actually in the middle of this book, it's, it's called The Color of the Law by Richard Rothstein. 
um, mm-hmm. talks about the whole redlining issue and how restrictive mm-hmm. covenants kept African Americans from home ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Also, another one is called The Land Was Ours. Um, let's see, the subtitle is How Black Beaches Became White Wealth in the Coastal South by, by Andrew Carl. I haven't read that book yet. My wife actually got that recently. Um, okay. Interesting book. But, you know, so this is, you know, you're talking about structural racism. How, yes, you know, blacks in America have historically been prohibited from mm-hmm. acquiring wealth in the same way that white Americans have been able to pass on wealth to their children and, and, and acquire mm-hmm. wealth. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a, I, you know, we talk about as Christians, as people who believe in the word of God, and you brought up something about uh, Leviticus and the uh, sabbatical year. Man, that's, that's powerful stuff. Um, I want to read something to you. This is from a book called Patriarchs and Prophets, um, a great book that okay. kind of gets into the, you know, some of those Old Testament stories. And um, the author says this, listen to this, after uh, she writes about those sabbaticals, uh, the, the, the sabbatical years and the uh, year of Jubilee, she said the Lord would place a check upon the inordinate love of property and power. Great evils would result from the continued accumulation of wealth by one class and the poverty and degradation of another. Without some restraint, the power of the wealthy would become a monopoly, and the poor, though in every respect fully as worthy in God's sight, would be regarded and treated as inferior to their more prosperous brethren. And then it says this, The sense of this oppression would arouse the passions of the poorer class. There would be a feeling of despair and desperation which would tend to demoralize society and open the door to crimes of every Description. The regulations that God established were designed to promote social equality. The provisions mm. of the sabbatical year and the Jubilee would, in a great measure, set right that which, during the interval, had gone wrong in the social and political economy of the nation. That's on page, page 534 of that book. And I just thought that was really interesting because you brought that up, and, I, and, it, and it, it is actually, I mean, these, these issues are tied together. We talk about, you know, I was going to ask you, what is the connection between structural racism and poverty? And I think you bridged that that uh, gap for us there a little bit Um, because a lot of people say, Hey, you know, we live in America, you know, there's, you know, endless opportunity. People come over here from other countries and they have, um, you know, the opportunity to, um, you know, build a life and do all this stuff. Why can't black people do the same thing? And actually Trevor, I want to let you listen to a clip. This is something that uh, a reporter actually asked uh, Martin Luther King Jr., um, back when when he was alive, uh, this this very question and his answer is one that uh, is just really profound. So let's listen. To, let's take a listen to that. Okay. What is it about the Negro? I mean, every other group that came as an immigrant somehow, not easily, but somehow got around it. Is it just the fact that Negroes are black? White America must see that no other ethnic group has been a slave on American soil. Uh, That is one thing that other immigrant groups haven't had to face. The other thing is that the color became a stigma. American society made the Negroes' color a stigma. America freed the slaves in 19, I mean, 1863 through the Emancipation Proclamation of Abraham Lincoln, but gave the slaves no land are nothing in reality, and as a matter of fact, to to get started on. At the same time, 
America was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest, which meant that there was a willingness to give the white peasants from Europe an economic base. And yet it refused to give its black peasants from Africa who came here involuntarily in chains and had worked free for 244 years any kind of economic base. And so emancipation for the Negro was really freedom to hunger. It was freedom uh, to the winds and rains of heaven. It was freedom without food to eat or land to cultivate. And therefore, it was freedom and famine at the same time. And when white Americans tell the Negro to lift himself by his own bootstraps, they don't, they don't look over the legacy of slavery and segregation. I believe we ought to do all we can and seek to lift ourselves by our own bootstraps. But uh, it's a cruel jest to say to a bootless man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. And many Negroes, by the thousands and millions, have been left bootless as a result of all of these years of oppression and as a result of a society that deliberately made his color a stigma and something worthless and degrading. Hmm. Profound, huh? Very profound. It's a cruel Very jest nice. to say to a bootless man that he must lift himself by his own bootstraps. And mm. and has that happened here in America uh, to African Americans? Um, yeah, uh, I, I think uh, Dr. King uh, respo uh, responded to um, that um, uh, uh, question, you know, quite uh, profoundly, uh, you know, uh, yeah, uh, it, it, it is, it's impossible uh, for, it, it's a miracle, let me not say it's impossible, it's a miracle for, um, you know, uh, someone to be able to pull themselves up uh, without boots. Mm. Um, and I, I think people need to understand how close this is. Um, you know, la la last weekend, um, uh, as, you, as you know, Steve, um, I, was, uh, I was away in St. Louis um, at my, um, my grandmother's funeral. Um, she died, um, you know, lived a good life, um, died at 91 years old. Mm. Uh, but when I was out there, I found out some things about my grandmother um, that, I, that I didn't know. Um, for example, <clears throat> I discovered that my grandmother uh, was born in Arkansas, um, and uh, she was a sharecropper. Mm. Now, a lot of people don't understand what sharecropping is. Um, basically, when the slaves were freed, sharecropping was basically another way to keep slaves in slavery. Mm -hmm. It was a second form of slavery. Because what would happen is that, you know, the, the, the slaves who were free, you would say, okay, you're free, but now you can work the land. And when you work the land, you were charged for working the land. You were charged for rent. You were charged for the acreage that you use. You were charged for, you know, using the master's water or tools or whatever. And because of that, it put debt on um, the, uh, the, the former slaves, and in a way, through debt, enslaved them again. And my grandmother, who I just buried, <laughs> was a sharecropper. Mm. You know, this, this is, is not, this ancient is not history. far away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not ancient history. Mm -hmm. You know, she was a sharecropper. You know, I have a good friend, um, uh, uh, GW2. His, he, he says that his father in Maryland uh, 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 was a uh, was a sharecropper. So Rosa so Parks things, died uh, 
a few years ago, right? I mean, this yeah, is again, exactly. this, this is, is recent not, history. Yeah, it's not it's not distant history. You know, um, uh, I, I was telling your re- readers about the the case for reparations by Tanahasi Coates. The the restrictive covenants didn't stop till 1968. Mm-hmm. My sister was born 10 years later, mm-hmm. and I was born two years after that. So this is not, this is not, I, I, I'm in my thirties. You know, this is not distant history. This is recent history. So, you know, the idea that, you know, hey, this is just something of the past. Black people should pull themselves up. We, we, we have to understand that for some, uh, they are, th- th- these are some of really first generation people getting out of systems of oppression. And, and so, poverty, yeah. I, and poverty, you know, we, we, we have to understand that. And, um, and I, I don't think people take it seriously, the effects that uh, slavery and then other forms of oppression mm. that happened after slavery. Because I just mentioned, um, you know, uh, uh, being a sharecropper, but we also have to talk about, if we're going to be uh, real about this, we need to talk about Jim Crow and yeah. the effect that Jim Crow had um, uh, on. And, and that's another form that to say that slavery is not just one-on-one, but those were structural, again, forms of racism. So where, yeah, let's, oh, right. so let's talk about what is, what was Jim Crow? Oh, okay. So it was a, it was a way, uh, um, for, to keep, you know, uh, frankly, uh, white people economically at the top and to keep black people at the bottom. That's, it, that's really what it was. Well, it, it was, um, it was, at, it was a series of laws, but it was even more than that. And I, I think some people have defined it as a, a racial caste system uh, here in America, right? And it, and it operated Certainly. between 1877 um, up until, you know, the mid-1960s when yeah. uh, the Civil Rights Act yeah. was was passed. So, I mean, yeah. our parents um, and, you know, people that, that are still living today lived during the time when Jim Crow was alive and well, right? When we had, Certainly. you had segregated bathrooms and drinking fountains and uh, black people Schools, couldn't buy a house in I a bet, certain bet, neighborhood. Bet, 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 schools that, that right because education is the key right sure if you're going to if you're going to pull yourself up it's going to be through education if you don't have education you're not going anywhere mm-hmm. and so um schools were um segregated and you know with the decision with plessy versus ferguson you know i believe it was where it's separate but equal mm-hmm. you know um where where it's saying that you know blacks have their own institutions and whites have their own institutions they were definitely separate but they certainly weren't equal, you know? And so, um, you know, you, you, you had that going on and, and, and that um, uh, systematically, uh, I like the word that you use, created a caste system uh, to uh, keep, um, you know, black people oppressed. And, and so if we, you know, we think about Jim Crow, which, which was this, basically it was segregation here in, in the States. And one thing that a lot of white Americans, I think, are ignorant about is number one. Um, well, there's so many things we could all go all the way back to slavery and just how brutal it was. How mm-hmm. um, babies were torn from their mothers' arms, children and and parents were ripped apart, husbands and wives were ripped apart and sent to different plantations. Women were raped in front of their husbands by the slave owners. Um, I mean, the brutality and the inhumanity with which mm-hmm. enslaved people were treated. Uh, is just beyond, I think, what a lot of us even understand. Um, I wasn't mm-hmm. taught that in school. 
it wasn't something that uh, we focus on. It's it's glamorized in many ways. You know, it's like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. this was something bad that happened in the past, but you know, that was a hundred years ago, one hundred fifty years ago. But here's mm-hmm. the thing: when you look at slavery, when you look at Jim Crow, where you had this racial caste system here in America, where you had, mm-hmm. you know, uh, blacks are inferior to whites, whites are superior to blacks. It was all supported and promoted and championed by religious people. And I think mm. that's something we forget, is that many Christian yeah. pastors took the Bible, they yeah. took scriptures out of the Bible that said slaves yeah. submit to your masters, and they used those to subjugate African-American people. They used it to, to say that white people were superior to blacks uh, because mm. of, of a curse or something like that, right? You know, a misinterpretation yeah. of, of Old Testament scripture. And they used it to say, hey, God supports this. And so this was a religiously-based uh, caste system, Right, slavery yeah. was religiously based, and yeah. so that's why. As as here we are, we're in 2019. I hear people say, "Hey, don't talk about racism. It's just dividing us. Um, we shouldn't be dividing. We should be uniting. Um, this isn't something we should be stirring the pot about." My thing is, dude, listen. For over 150 years, 200 years, um, white Christians have used the Bible to justify brutality against people of color. Dude, we got to address this. I'm sorry. No, we're not going to sit here and act like um, this is something that we shouldn't talk about just because we're Christians. We're going to sweep it under the rug. Um, and and this, you know, this brings me to another issue. And I kind of want to get your your take on this because there's so much more we could talk about. I mean, we could talk about sure. <laughs> uh, Matt. We could talk about mass incarceration, right? Sure. Uh, we could talk about police brutality. We could talk about why are people kneeling for the national anthem. You know, whether you agree or disagree with that. Um, We could talk about lynchings, which, by the way, happened all the way up um, into the late 60s. You know, lynchings are, you know, basically extrajudicial killings. And the Uh majority of those who were lynched here in America um, where crowds would take someone out and they would kill them in one manner or another were black people. Um, We could talk about all that stuff. We don't really have time right now. We can do that maybe another time. But here's here's something I want to ask you, and that is this. What does the Bible say about my responsibility, our responsibility today when it comes to these issues? Because here's what I hear. I hear people saying, listen, okay, that happened, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 150 years ago. I had nothing to do with it. It wasn't my fault. Maybe my parents didn't even do it. Um, So, in fact, there was an article in Christianity Today where a, a black Christian leader uh, pastor wrote a an article on racial reconciliation. I didn't read the whole article, but I was, mm. you know, uh, going through my Twitter feed, and I, I noticed the responses to this article. And, and one guy, here's mm. what he wrote. I'm going to read you his words. He said, "What happened?" And he has in parentheses slavery, lynching, Jim Crow, etc. Parentheses was indescribable. I am so sorry for that, and if I need to repent, I will. I need to see scripture that says I need to repent for what others did. And so um, I actually thought, you know what? I don't usually respond to people, you know, when it looks like it's just going to stir the pot. But I thought, you know, I got to respond to this. And so I I shared with him um, 2 Samuel 21, 1 through 14, the story of um, David and the Gibeonites, if you recall that story. And the story goes where David, uh, there was a famine in the land. King David um, prays and says, God, what's the cause of this famine? Can we, you know, can you lift the famine? And God says, uh, basically, it's because of what Saul did to the Gibeonites. Saul uh-huh. had broken covenant with the Gibeonites and killed them. 
They, they, they had a covenant with Israel many years before with Joshua. Saul had broken that covenant, and, and God said, listen, something needs to be done to make this right. And so David went to the Gibeonites. Mm-hmm. He said, what can I do to make this right? And, and when he made it right, then the land was blessed again. There's also the example in, in Daniel chapter 9 where Daniel, here's Daniel, this guy who the Bible doesn't record any faults of, right? And yeah, he, yeah, yeah. he gets up and he prays, God, forgive um, our sins, my sins. He includes himself in the sins of apostate Israel who's been taken to Babylon because of their sins, even though he himself didn't necessarily participate in those sins. And so, so my question is, and maybe I've you know, kind of already given you my perspective, but does the Bible say that that we have anything that me as a white man here in America, um, the other people who may not have taken part in these um, evil deeds directly, what is our responsibility? How should we respond well, today? Um, great question. Uh, great question. And, uh, you know, uh, as you were talking, there's just one little thing I want to interject in, and then I want to go directly to answer your question. And, um, you know, w- when you mentioned earlier that, um, you know, there are um, uh, Christians who are participating in um, uh, slavery and it being endorsed from the pulpit. Um, unfortunately, that is true. Um, but I believe that um, that the scriptures were being twisted. And uh, oh, one of my one of my passions is to, you know, to actually go through and I ha- actually have a Bible study like on what does the Bible actually say about slavery? Because mm. when you see mm-hmm. what it says. It's eye-opening, it's profound, and you see the character of who God really is. And I think that's critical. I think it's important because I believe that there are many um, people today who have turned their back on God because um, they believe that God endorsed slavery Mm -hmm. and because of the way that... um, people use the Bible as a club to, uh, you know, uh, endorse slavery. And so mm-hmm. maybe one, another day we can come back and have that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, but, um, you know, uh, w- w- one of the things that, uh, I-, I think is important is to, for, for people is to acknowledge, um, the fact that, um, they have been privileged. White people need to acknowledge mm-hmm. that they have had privilege um, as a result of slavery. Mm-hmm. Mm. As stop. a result of slavery. Wow. <laughs> as, a, as a result of slavery. Break that Every, down, man. It, it, white people had generations of economic advantage mm. because of slavery. Mm. Period. Mm-hmm. You had free labor. You, you were able to capitalize yeah. from someone's labor. Right. You know, and like Martin Luther King talked about in that, uh, in that clip that you said, they uh, white people were allowed to come over here and were uh, given land. Right. That didn't happen for 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 for, for my people. Right. That did not. That right. didn't happen for my people. So there was an advantage, and I think it's important to acknowledge. You know what? I have an advantage. Mm-hmm. Now, okay. there's nothing wrong. You can't do anything about that. That's not to fault anyone. But I just it's to say, hey, we need to acknowledge that because if there's someone who has an advantage. That means that someone has a disadvantage. And, and then, you know, then to say, okay, now that we know that, what is it that I can do, you know, to help the least of these? You know, when we look at the words of Jesus in Matthew 25, 
you know, he, he talks about, you know, helping the least of these, those uh, 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 who are, are, are poor. And he says, if you do it unto the least of these, you have done it unto me. And so I don't think that there needs to be um, kind of like we were talking about a little earlier that, you know, you know, there needs to be this. Uh, um, and may- maybe based upon what you read from Daniel, maybe there's some some benefit to that in terms of like having this huge come to Jesus prayer uh, meeting moment. Uh, I, 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 I personally, you know, think that the, 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 the thing that's needed is to do what Micah says uh, in Micah six, verse eight. He says, he has showed you, oh man, what is good. Mm -hmm. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with with your God? When it comes to the issue of racism, what can I do as a white person in America to help um, better the situation? Mm -hmm. I think that's the question that needs to happen. Um, And it goes beyond just saying a prayer. You know, it, it, it calls for um, it calls for some kind of action uh, to uh, be able to, to be done like what? Um, to make a difference. Um, I give I, I give something, um, you know, just real simple that I think um, can be done. Conversations, you know, genuinely, you know, to have a relationship with someone who looks different than you. Mm-hmm thinks different than you, um, maybe that comes by coming out of your comfort zone. Maybe because we still know that the most segregated hour in the United States of America is either Saturday or Sunday morning. That's still the most segregated hour. Maybe doing church. church. And and, and maybe that that, um, the the thing to do would be to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to join a black church. And, and I'm going to have my kids raised in this environment and I'm going to challenge myself by being in this environment so that I can have solidarity mm-hmm. and I can understand where uh, people, where they're coming from and they maybe can understand where I'm coming from and that we can have a, a, a true reflection of where the kingdom of God it's supposed to be, you know, it, it's ironic. I was, I was thinking about this uh, last night. I, I've, I've often seen it happen the other way. Mm-hmm. I've seen it happen a lot where there are black people that go to white churches, but I cannot think now I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but I don't, I can't think of examples where I see white people who go to black churches. Mm-hmm. Can't think of it. Mm-hmm. And, and so maybe that is something very simple that can be done to be able to bridge the gap mm. and, and, and then, you know, get involved in, you know, uh, uh, um, in, in, in advocating, you know, you can use your voice uh, as a, as an advocate. Maybe it is just um, adopting one person or one family that you're going to help. You know, we may not be able to change social policy and things like that, you know, and that's a whole nother big argument that we can get into, but you can help people one-on-one. What I believe is that Jesus heal people one-on-one. And so you can help one person. That's what you can do. You can help one person along that journey. Maybe uh, that person who needs an extra $200 to, mm-hmm. uh, a month 
to be able to get in that better neighborhood like we talked about earlier. Maybe, you, you know, a, a coalition can be formed to help that person so that they get out of uh, um, um, poverty and, um, and, and they're able to get into better schools and things like that for their children so that there can be hope for the future. Um, you know, uh, maybe uh, it could be through donated to the United Negro, Negro College Fund or to some other uh, predominantly uh, or charity that deals with um, African-American issues. You know, there, there's a number of things that I think can be done, but I think something needs to be done. I think it's not enough to just talk about it. Mm. I think something needs to be done. Thanks for joining us today. Follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at DoJusticeNow. You can also tweet your questions or suggested topics for a future podcast conversation to us there. Or send your questions or ideas by email to DoJusticeNow at iCloud.com. Again, our Twitter handle is at DoJusticeNow. Our email is DoJusticeNow at iCloud.com. <laughs>